and welcome everybody to the next Samwise Yaboinski podcast. So good to be back. Samuel, how are you? I am very good, Chris. How are you? I'm doing really good today. I'm very excited. You've been back after more journeys and traveling up in your abbey with the goats. Yeah, I went to my favorite archive in the world, which is on a lovely old deconsecrated 12th century abbey in Normandy in the north of France. And my favorite thing about it is that tethered outside of the archive reading room, which actually is an old uh, 12th century chapel, a huge, lovely, beautiful chapel. You walk outside of the reading room into a field and there's this goat that's tethered up and he's a lovely long haired shaggy goat with two very impressive horns. I have no idea why he's there or who he belongs to. He just is tethered there and he sits and chews on the card and he comes up to you and licks your fingers. And it's like, this is heaven for me. I just love it. You know, I go and spend time in the morning with the archives and then go and have lunch. And then I go and play with the goat and then it's back into the archives. I love it. Well, welcome everybody. Sorry, it was longer than it needs to be, but whatever. No, it's perfect. <laughs> and it's a perfect segue because we have a uh, fascinating, both I love Samuel's stories of travel and of, of all of us on the staff team travels the most by far and away, but he goes to these amazing, beautiful places and then sits in the dark looking at paper. So <laughs> I think it's, I can't wait to hear more and more about all of the research in an upcoming podcast coming soon. But today we have a very special guest who has traveled far, far and wide in this beautiful world and has come to be with us and serves you all on the board of trustees right now. We have Anjali. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks, Chris. And hey, Sam, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, feel like a minor celebrity here today. <laughs> <laughs> and I have had the the great privilege of serving with you now for, gosh, is it three? This is your third year, right? Yes. Wow. And and it's been a real joy. And I know we can always, everybody serves differently uh, on our boards and everybody's differently prepared for our boards. Lots of, we have a lot of really incredible people serving on our board right now. And I always know that you're coming having prepared, digested, and thought about and formulated opinions on what we've created, which is a real joy, is a real joy to know that you're, you know, really invested in the leadership and you really take seriously the commitment that you've made. And, and it's been, it's been a real pleasure to get to work with you. So, but as we do with everybody, want to hear a little bit about sort of the story, how you found First Church, how you found Unitarian Universalism, um, and we can dig into your origin story a little bit. But yeah, how did you land with us? Um, How I found Unitarian Universalism, you know, it's, um, maybe I'll begin a little bit by, you know, where I was coming from, and then, you know, we'll explore other aspects of that, maybe in a bit. But um, you know, as you know, I was born and uh, spent my early years um, in India. So I was, you know, uh, born to a Hindu family, raised, you know, with sort of Hinduism around me. Um, as you know, India is, you know, fairly secular. We had, um, you know, friends that were not observant Hindus that were, you know, either Muslim or Christian. And, you know, we celebrated their holidays. They celebrated with us. But um the vast majority of my, you know, life experience was, you know, connected with 
culturally or you know in a religious way with the practice of hinduism as a religion as much as you know children yeah. even care about you know what sort of the right. religious aspects of what um, it is that they're doing so few just uh things to point out you know one that there isn't actually any traditional religious education uh, you know that is imparted you know to to kids um, at least not while I was growing up I didn't see that you know so basically what you know and what you do or believe is just from absorbing and observing really you know yeah. and um, you know I attended Catholic school actually for what? 12 years so yeah believe it or not so you know it's just um uh, it's it was just a, a whole kind of an environment of spirituality you know more yeah. than uh, sort of re religion um so you know if we were participating in any sort of rituals or practices of course the kids were like going through the motions but then kind of waiting for so when does this end and when do we get fed you know like that kind yeah. of that kind of stuff but um so i would say that my um understanding appreciation of hinduism was very sort of contextual you know and uh, atmospheric you know more than um, anything that was coming from within. So um, it was probably not a surprise that I kind of lost all of it, you know, once I moved to the U.S. So, you know, I was 21, I came to graduate school, um, you know, that day-to-day -day, uh, spiritual reminders, you know, were not around me. And it was just very hard to recreate by myself, you know, uh, for myself, whatever I used to see my mother and grandmothers and you know you know like various aunts aunts and cousins do because it was just nothing that um it was not as meaningful anymore you know because yeah. it was um almost um it was almost painful you know in that that it was a reminder of something that was just never going to be the same anyway you know so like why even bother and so um I just you know carried on uh, focusing on you know living life uh, making good choices, you know, being a good person, but not really, you know, trying to observe any um, kind of religious mm -hmm. practices, um, you know, threw myself into what was important here for me, you know, um, and building my own life. And I think it really wasn't, um, uh, wasn't until I first had Anya, you know, that I thought perhaps some of the, you know, blessings at the temple or something that would have been expected of me was you know was important to do for her and then mm. um tried that and felt how sort of again how it was not the same it just didn't feel the same it didn't resonate yeah. you know and I felt really alone with it and um so by the time Annika was born it was just not even a question you know that that was at, at any part of it was important at all to me but I still wanted something you know still wanted yeah. a place where you know we could go as a family you know and then um, there could be communities. So maybe that's the other aspect, you know, that um, uh, growing up in a culture where everything was in community, you know, yeah. I, I found um, I found life in the U.S. at least as a as a young adult, just lacking that community, you know. So um, when I um, uh, talked about trying to look for a place, um, you know, that we would feel all feel comfortable with uh, by now, you know, 
Tony grew up Catholic too and was had loved the Catholic Church. And as I mentioned, I went to Catholic school for 12 years, grew up Hindu, but not, was not really doing anything. And then you think about where do we go, you know, where we feel comfortable. So, of course, we first walked into St. Joseph's, you know, and um, I was just like, oh, God, I cannot take this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, walked into a couple places around town, right? Because it had to be accessible. It had to be close. Otherwise, we would never make it, you know. Right. Um, and we walked into um, into our church um, and we just slipped in the back and we sat in the back. I think it was an Easter service, actually, you know. Wow. And um, as you know, that's a challenging one. You used to grasp. So there was just something about it, though, that, um, you know, we went back a a little bit later, like not right away, but we went back again. And, uh, you know, this time we talked to a few people. Um, I don't know if Jim Staten was here when you started, Chris. No, but but um, I've heard quite a bit about him. Yeah. So, you know, he pulled us into coffee hour and introduced us to a few people. We spoke to a few people and, you know, suddenly, like. I had the realization that here's where community lives in the U.S. You know, right, they live right, in churches, right. like, because it wasn't out in the streets the way, you know, I was used to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so we just, we liked, we liked the place, you know, and I probably mentioned to you too, that when we, uh, when I had first driven past, uh, you know, uh, the church, uh, it was the June um, barbecue and of year mm. barbecue and it just yeah, looked yeah, like yeah. such a fun event and I was thinking this is so nice I want to be there you know so that's how we ended up like going in to check check out the church too so wow. um, it was um, yeah we just kept going a couple more times and then you know it just felt like it was a place and I've, I've, I think you've heard it from a lot of people you think you're going just for your kids right but then right. you realize you're actually mm. going for yourself mm. as well so um and then when I mentioned that, uh, Tony finally told me that he actually graduated from Harvard Divinity School, right? And I'm like, and I had to find the UU Church by myself. You, mm-hmm. know? you, so, you didn't know that beforehand? I, I didn't know that. I just knew that he'd gone to med school, you know, and I just didn't really know that before med school, he was at the, the Divinity School for two years. So mm-hmm. he just said he didn't want to, you know, like put his thumb on any part of the scale like he wanted me to choose a place myself because Mm -hmm. he would have been fine and so um yeah so wow and then when when did you guys meet it was uh 2004 so Mm -hmm. yeah well and Mm -hmm. and where were you so how far into were you done with grad school already yeah i was i was done with grad school and postdoc and uh you know um had also moved by then to Massachusetts and started working. Okay. Um, I mean, I lived up in Andover for a couple of years before moving mm-hmm. here to Belmont. So, you know, I was I was married previously uh, to a- Anya's dad. And, you know, so Anya was four at the time um, when, when I met Tony. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he lived uh, and worked outside um, Harvard Square in Cambridge. And I worked in Central Square. And, uh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. where we met. So. That's cool. Can I? Do you mind if I ask you to say a bit more about the difference between your upbringing in India and here in terms of like the fabric of the community? Because mm. that what you were saying really resonated with me um, as a as a foreigner. You know, in the United States, it, it there's this it, it it can feel very lonely here, and it can feel very hard to connect mm. and make friends. And that's one of the things. The church here is so important for right 
in, and but but can you yeah. say a bit more about about how you experienced that difference and what it is in India that you really were missing? Um, you know, um, if I'm being honest, there were many reasons that I really wanted to leave India, right? So it wasn't mm. um, it. Uh, so all of those are still true for me, anyway. You know, and then, um, but coming to uh, the U.S. as a student, you know, was a whole lot easier, I think, than um, you know, coming as a pro- a young adult professional, you know, so at least in school, like there is that uh, student community at least, right? Um, But it was still different from, you know, like that extended family community where, I mean, it's got the good and the bad, right? So like there's, um, I often used to joke about how if you even were like, you know, making mischief out in the, on the playground, like, you know, something was happening, like your mother would be waiting for you in the balcony mm. before you got home, because even without telephones, they would know that before right. <laughs> you, know, you got home. Because yeah. It was like, yeah. what happened? You know, so it was like that level of connection, which of course has, yeah. um, you know, it's very annoying parts, but at the same time, you know, there are a lot of, lot of people, you know, looking out for you or interested in your affairs, mm-hmm. you know, um, when you're younger, at least it, it's very comforting and you get a little bit older. It's just something that, you know, people don't appreciate as much, right? Because you want your own space to be able to make your own choices and decisions that you can't. But mm-hmm. um, I think the other difference too is um, there wasn't a lot of space, right, for um, individual choices um, and in uh, sort of fulfilling um, your own personal aspirations because there's not a lot of space for personal aspirations it was a lot about the family's expectations or you know the larger society's expectations so at some some point like you're always struggling to really figure out is this really what I want or is this what is expected of me you know and that Mm -hmm. is kind of a difficult um difficult thing too but yeah you're right but you, you come here and like none of it is there so you yes there is the good of not um having to answer to so many people but at the same time you're just you are alone you know and you know, it is pretty yeah. alone so yeah it's interesting. also from a social perspective you know like people uh, things are much more casual right people show up at people's homes you don't have to make an appointment you don't have to call yeah. ahead like, yeah. you know, it's just very very social that way and then suddenly you're like you know the fact that the doorbell even rings is just like people look at each other like who could it be like why does the doorbell right. ring here but in india it rings all the time you know yeah 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 i wonder too about what you were saying too about um the way hinduism is kind of connected with a whole social context that just didn't translate to the US for you, right? I think that's what you were saying. That 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 it, the way it's woven into the fabric of society is just it's not it's not you can't reconstruct that in a totally different social context like like life in the United States. Is is that kind of what you were saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean maybe yeah. some folks can, right, Sam? Because I mean I know that, that there are uh, you know folks. Um, I mean, Chris was just talking about family in Atlanta. I mean, I was in Atlanta, right? But I was on the Georgia Tech campus and I wasn't, you know, out in the suburbs where I know there is by now a large concentration of folks from India and they have their community. And I mean, one of the other things um, 
you know, I had to keep reminding myself was I did not want to be pulled back into some of those same things that I was trying to escape yeah, from. Right? Yeah. So yeah, that's partly difficult. I was keeping that distance and partly, mm. you know, it was just not going to be easy to recreate it for me by myself, you know. Mm. Yeah, well, okay. I think one of the one of the big differences too is when you you say like Indian community here, but in India, right? There's so many different communities, and it's yeah. it's as if saying like I'm gonna go, and it's kind of fun. When I lived in France, it was kind of fun to bump into an American, but if it was an American from Idaho, you know, like we had a very different experience, right? And so, well, that's so, so true. And I mean, mm. it's also that's that's what I was um, saying about like trying to bring. Anya to, you know, one of the Hindu temples here, but it's, um, you know, the one in Ashland is, I mean, it's beautiful, but it's very South Indian. It was so unfamiliar to me. Like I felt like a visitor that didn't know what was going on. Mm. Not any different from actually, Chris, you may know a lot more going in there than I I would, you know, (laughs) and I just felt wrong that, you know, why Mm. it should feel so foreign to me. Um, And yeah, that's, Never quite connected with that. I do like their food that they have down in the basement. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, the food is fantastic. I um, yeah, and that that was what I studied in comparative religion in undergraduate. So we had yeah. particularly yeah. really loved learning uh, about Hinduism. But yeah, it's a it's a whole different thing. And I think that's fascinating what you point to to Sam or really both of you. Um, but it is, you know, it's almost like Judaism in that way that Hinduism is just woven into the social framework in a very yeah. different way yeah. than Unitarian Universalism, like, just is never, like, will never be. Um, and I'm fascinated by that because I've been Unitarian Universalist my entire life. And so it's it's almost been like that for me because it's been what I experienced, it's been the water that I swam through my entire life. But um, but it's it's really different. In that, you know, very few people are culturally Unitarian Universalist. You know what I mean? It just doesn't really exist in the same way that it does in mm. Judaism, mm. Hinduism, Catholicism a little bit, but but really particularly when it's tied to nation and personhood yeah. and it's in a right. whole different realm. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I, I was gonna say exactly you I, I mean you really can't tell where you know religion ends and culture begins. It's all the same. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Ranganath was telling me a very similar thing about he when he back when he was on the membership committee and we were talking about you know designing the next journey to membership class and we were going to have some a little class on unitarian universalism and at one point he reflected and said you know when i was growing up in india you learn about religion in the home and the idea right. of going to a class to learn about religion was quite was quite alien and and it was right, right. and it's it, it's just very interesting that that kind of difference well, and it's to what you were saying before, Anjali, too, about religious education. You know, it just doesn't exist in the way that, oh, check, I'm going to go to the service and drop my kid off downstairs. It's no, like, exactly. It's so, it's so much part of life, I guess. Yeah. It's it, it is part of life. And then when you have those organized, like, prayer services in your home where the, the priest or the pundit shows up, right? I mean, and they are reciting everything in Sanskrit when nobody can understand anyway. You know, it's like coming to your uh, coming to church and listening to something in Latin and you have no idea like <laughs> what they're saying or something. And it's mm, just, mm. but that's it. Like you just sit there, you, they tell you, hold your right hand up this way you do. If they tell you do this with your left hand, you do. It's just, you know, it's not, uh, to me, it didn't resonate. I mean, I knew mm. it was sacred and it was holy, you know, and it was meaningful to my family. So I would just like be respectful and do what I was asked. But like, 
it was just mm. like, I don't know, don't care, you know, and <laughs> when does this end and when do I get the dessert? <laughs> and so you mentioned Georgia. Georgia. Like that's such a big change. How did how did that and and you know, obviously your family must on some level have been progressive to encourage that or, or allow that was it encouraged or was it allowed or how did how did that um, lead to georgia happen how did the path to georgia happen so um you know it was it was one of those things where i was saying you don't actually know at some point whose um, aspirations you know you're living out so i mean i was i was yeah. a good student i was good in school um, but, you know, it was to the point where that was expected of me. Like, you know, it was, um, um, it's a mountain, so you're going to climb it. So, like, you know, you're going to be the top ranking student every single year because that's what you do and that's what's expected of you. And then at some point you expect it of yourself. And, you know, the truth is the mountains do get higher and higher, right? But you're still, like, putting all that pressure on yourself because, you know, that's mm. what you do. And um, I think going um growing up and like getting to high school and starting to get you know more um more appreciation for the system you were dealing with you know and um how hard it would be you know to function in and change that system like you just think about what what can i do to to improve my own lot right it would just be i could just be the best at what i do you know because that's my one ticket to any kind of um, freedom as I saw it at the time, you know, which would be the ability to like be safe, be comfortable, be, you know, just um, able to make some choices uh, for myself. Um, so that's kind of where I was heading, you know, and uh, it's just, I realized I was engineer, uh, I, I, like my dad was an engineer and I realized I was more mm -hmm. interested in science and math, you know, and so, that's where I said I wanted to go to engineering school. Well, you know, not a lot of women went <laughs> to engineering school. And um, again, you if you're going to go to engineering school, well, by golly, you're going to go to the best one, right? And so um, it was um, extremely difficult. I mean, I think I did almost nothing for, uh, you know, two years besides study, you know, like for mm -hmm. my regular school, but then also all the additional, uh, you know, studying that I needed to do to actually just clear the entrance examination for some, mm. you know, some of these top ranked schools, which are extremely difficult to get into. Um, and, you know, um, I don't know the rules anymore, but back then, you know, like you had a qualifying age. So like you could take the test once or twice, but then you would age out of the system. So you couldn't even, oh, wow, even try, really? you know, and the competition was just so mm. crazy, so crazy, you know, so, Wow. Uh, I mean, we're talking just a handful of people being able to get in, you know, out of hundreds and thousands. I mean, it was just wow. extremely hard. Um, I, I, you know, remember this um, episode when, uh, you know, like my parents would sometimes drag me out of my room and say, you have to go out for a walk. Like, this is crazy. You know, what are you doing? And so you go out for a walk and then, you know, they would say, oh, I, you know, I've heard of you, like even I'm some stranger on the street, like I've heard of you, like, aren't you the person who's supposed to top in your school and be like, send me, take me back home, I can't be walking, like I need to be studying, you know, and then wow. another time this woman like walked up and yelled at me because she heard that I was taking the engineering entrance exam, right? So she was like, you're stealing my son's seat, you know, and I was like, right. like I'm not doing anything to your son, yeah, you know, so right. 
it was just wow you know because nobody thinks that you're going to do anything you know with your wow. life and you know you've got uh, you know your life mapped out by mm. societal expectations and i was yeah. like okay you know like we're all just taking the exam if your son's yeah. good he's gonna get in like what's the issue here wow <laughs> was there a, was there a gender element to that 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 you were a girl and Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this continued actually. Um, this continued probably. Um, I the last time I had such a like um, overt, you know, re reaction from somebody was when I was a graduate student, you know, presenting a poster at like American Society of Hematology or something, and this Indian doctor, you know, came up and wanted to discuss my research. And of course, with great enthusiasm, I was telling him about my research. And then he was like, so tell me again, what's the point of all this? Like, you're going to finish this, you're going to go get married. So what's going on here? And I was just like, mm, wow. I'm sorry, you don't know me, you don't know nothing about me. Like, why in mm -hmm. the world? <laughs> you know? oh, so wow. It was just, um, I never went to, you know, um, a conference after that, where, you know, they would have like, event, a cocktail or reception for, you know, scientists of indian origin i would never oh, go because i'd be yeah. like yeah no i don't think so you know mm. so because it's not like they're being supportive or anything you know it was just yeah nothing i wanted to do is that something you now where you are are you looking for opportunities to do that for other Others? women coming up oh yeah absolutely i mean i think all of this in the last uh, you know last many years it's just been sort of realizing that you know it's my opportunity to be able to turn around and give back right so i mean i'm signed up as a mentor in many many settings and like i almost never turn down an informational interview request you know from anybody uh just so if they want to discuss you know what my work is like or you know what yeah. the choices that led me to it or anything i'm you know very happy to talk about that to see if it can be helpful to anyone who's thinking about you know a, a path um, uh, in industry right because it's uh, I don't know that much about academia uh, or academic right. careers but a lot of people in academia are looking for options too and so like mm. I speak, speak postdocs or grad students or yeah definitely women or other students of color for sure mm. that's good good for you and in the course of you know, now generationally, have you seen this sort of shift with your with your own girls and how their kind of outlook and how's that been as a mom of yeah, for young sure, women? with my daughters. You know, um, I I would say um, I never tried to raise them the same way I was raised. You know, so um, I always made sure that. Um, their opinions were heard and respected, you know. Um, I didn't try to force them into, you know, um, a cultural box because, you know, if it wasn't even resonating with me by then, how would I actually, right. you know, impart that to them, you know? So we were like, we're just going to find our own way, you know? Yeah. And so um, They've uh, they've both always been freely, you know, able to express their opinions and um, I think uh, and make their own choices, you know, including ones that I was less familiar with, but I was supportive anyway, you know, because I'm like, uh, <laughs> and like my older daughter, you know, she did a couple of beauty pageants and I was like, what do I know oh, about wow. this? <laughs> but 
like, sure, you know, I'm going to support you. And, um, you know, and now Annika, of course, is in theater. And, you know, again, um, not anything I spent a lot of time doing, but, um, you know, very happy to support her. So um, I I think because they are eight years apart, you know, it's uh, also Mm -hmm. possible to see the changing times in my own family, you know, so um, probably my extended family would tell you you know, I'm very different, you know, today than um, I was decades ago. But uh, for me, you know, my older daughter is already, you know, way different uh, from me than I, you know, than I was at her age. And then I see my younger one who's even, you know, as times have changed and their ability to articulate their own um, expectations what they demand you know from life and from society um you know it's very easy to see that you know in in my younger daughter too where uh you know she's like couldn't care less about being so much of a people pleaser even though you know nobody wants any you know you do everyone has probably a need to be liked but you know like she's just very quick to call people out on you know what she thinks is not okay or you know um mm. and, and they are and i and i like you know actually the fact that they can say it you know because i'm sure that many many times like you know we kind of taught i taught myself like probably a lot of women my generation would say that you know we taught ourselves to just like oh, overlook a lot of things even though we notice right. you know but yeah. uh increasingly just hearing my kids is giving me the words actually to um, say things that I felt all along, but, you know, I didn't quite even know how to express it. Right. So, yeah. Mm. Well, and, and as a, you know, temporarily able-bodied, probably no longer young middle-aged man in power, (laughs) you know, I'm really aware of, of trying over and over again to make space for, and really kind of ruthlessly check in with, how we're making space for everyone in our processes and in our, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's challenging. It's challenging Mm. to really be, make sure that everybody is being heard and welcomed and that leadership's being nurtured. And, you know, it's, um, yeah, yeah, no, that's, it's so true. I mean, I, I wonder how you think, um, you know, that the church, um, continues to evolve, you know, with um, more younger, fa- you know, younger families and um, young women, you know, <laughs> from generations younger than I am, you know, um, and with their own set of expectations. Um, how how do you see us evolving? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think that the church is a fascinating example, because on some level, we've been doing church the same as we have for hundreds of years, meaning that the power structures, you know, we have a board, we have, you know, we have bylaws, we have all of these um, things that are grounded in the same sort of structures of power. We have, you know, uh, we have nominating committees that choose from pools of people that they know. And so it's a, it's a discipline to both nurture emerging leaders and continually grow the systems through which we lead and through which we support one another. Um, so we're always learning and always trying to trying to grow how we're doing what we're doing. 
And, you know, like most human institutions, we're going to fall short and we're going to, you know, get better. And, and I think we're really lucky at First Church because we have a really strong leadership and we have a really wonderful staff team right now. And we together are collaborative and, you know, connected in a way that I think makes a whole lot of growth possible and makes a whole lot of reflection and, again, um, intentionality in our leadership possible where so many places are worried about keeping the lights on and keeping the staff paid. And so we have, we're in a different moment and still there's a lot more that we can do and, and being able to be open to learning and changing and growing. And, uh, and again, just as for myself, you know, that's partly why I have annual reviews, partly why we're have the committee on ministry constantly asking the congregation, how we're doing, because we we all, you know, I'm 46 years old and I want to keep doing this for another 20 years and get better and better and better and serve more wisely of the whole time. And so I know that that means that there's stuff that I'm not doing yet that I will start doing. And so I think mm-hmm. that's a shared, that's a shared intention with, you know, almost all of our leadership that I've talked to that I've talked to, everyone really wants to be in it to learn and grow. It gets uncomfortable when it actually, you know, when the rubber hits the road and we have to really look at hard things, but, mm-hmm. but I think we're, we're ready. Um, and that's part of, part of who we are. You know, it's like culturally, I think we're used to being thinking that we're, we have this identity of being progressive and sort of on the cutting edge and really trying to be, you know, liberal and bringing people in and really cultivating a space where everybody can, lead and grow into their fullness. And, you know, that's not, not always the case. So we have to, you know, do better. I mean, certainly um, church has not necessarily felt, uh, you know, an uncomfortable place to me ever. But I mean, just going back to looking at today's work environments, you know, um, and uh, you kind of always left questioning, you know, how many of the statements that they're issuing or anything like how much of it is real or how much is how much of it is because that's what's expected in this day and age and if you don't do it then you know you're going to pay the price but like you really look in and you say um are those choices really uh, what you would do if you wanted to be inclusive you know or Mm. um, you know are we very quickly just um put a new face on a, on an ad campaign and think that they are done, you know, is that, um, so yeah. my, my kids call it performative, you know, so right. it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to understand behind that, you know, is uh, how much of it is genuine. And it's, it's interesting. I always feel like if I have to ask, you know, whether it's real, then it doesn't, if it doesn't feel, then it doesn't feel real. And then it probably isn't, you know, so it's, mm. uh, Mm. Kind of struggling with that a little bit too, you know, because also for um, for people expecting, you know, some sort of very quick accolades because they made, you know, some small changes, you know, many of us are there thinking, yeah, it's going to take a little bit more, you know, to <laughs> write some of that for it, you know. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. Well, that's wonderful. And um, so now that you've been at the church for a little while, again, when I mentioned at the beginning, I think one of the, one of, you know, certainly the first way that I've really experienced you in great depth is, is through your leadership. And I know at the same time, I don't know if you're still on the board at Powers, 
but I know you've been also serving on the board of powers. And so obviously you're, you're a committed leader and you bring a lot to the table in that leadership. And I've been wondering about leadership right now and wondering about this sort of, not this next generation, kind of this next generation, but I wonder about leadership and people's commitment and, and it's kind of woven in the last conversation too, because I think some of it, you know, from a, from a, from a, how we structure the leadership, I think is partially, you know, is partially needs to be reimagined. And, and I wonder, you know, I, I, for me, um, just committed a ruthless volunteer er because I <laughs> re- rely on so many volunteers that anytime yeah. the girl scouts that Leah's in or this robotics thing that my older son is in, anytime people reach out and they ask for support, I make a spiritual practice of saying yes, if I can, because I rely on so many other people <laughs> at the church. And I don't know if that's, as much of a common practice right now. And and I wonder if you've sort of reflected on that and what you think both kind of what you think makes for solid, effective, and helpful leadership and how you think we can cultivate that uh, in people. Yeah. Interesting to hear sort of, you know, why we volunteer. I mean, you know, um, I would say that um, uh, I started doing a lot of volunteer work for schools, you know, when my kids were younger, because it's a way to stay connected to their life, but then also have them see that, you know, where they go to school is important to you and, you know, you want it to be, you know, a good place. And so I would always look for things that, you know, I could either uh, do from home, you know, or I could, um, you know, it was more, um, um, a defined time period in which, and like I would do the mm-hmm. holiday gift drive or something, you know, right, at, right. At school for years that, uh, you know, Annika was there, I was doing the holiday gift drive just because um, then, you know, it's a <laughs> defined period right. of time because I mean, you know, I work have always worked full time. And for me, full time is not 40 hours. It's like 40 hours would be a very, very light week, you know, right, so right, it's right. a big challenge to keep up with all of that and do some volunteer work. So, uh when when they move on right to uh, be older and there's really honestly less less to do you know once they go off to high school and stuff it's just you know now I could do be like theater sales you know ticket sales mom or something you know but other than that um yeah. and at church right we were doing um uh, at similarly all the activities that the kids were involved in so you know whether it's teaching RE or, you know, uh, helping Alpha with, the, you know, the musical and doing whatever was assigned, you know, but um, after a while, like you get to a point where, uh, you know, I just had this, um, not not sudden, but like, you know, gradual realization that, you know, I just felt uh, at a place in life where, you know, it's just so filled with gratitude for what I had, you know, mm-hmm. and I just mm-hmm. felt like, um, you know, I just needed to do more to give back more, you know, to be more deeply connected, you know, so, um, of course, I had to jump right into stewardship at church, right? Right. Yeah, you know, it's mm. almost like, the more you do, the more you're connected, there were so many aspects. Right. And despite being, you know, like an active 
church member and a regular attendee. Like, I don't think I really understood the workings of the church until no. I joined the stewardship committee. Like, there was just no, mm, yeah. uh, no comparison, right, for the experience um, before and after that time. Um, so certainly you get, you know, something, uh, a deeper understanding, but, you know, hopefully you can also contribute, um, you know, with, with your efforts. I would say, you know, having spent my entire life, you know, in sort of the corporate world where, uh, you know, results are important and like, you know, impact is important. And for me personally, you know, um, I've made so many choices that, you know, have been difficult, right? Um, and push myself so much. So I always look at the so what of, you know, anything yeah. I'm involved in, you know, because it's yeah. just like, if it doesn't make a difference, then why bother, you know? And so yeah. um, it, yeah. it's just yeah. been, um, for me, what dri drives me a lot, right? So it was just after, um, after doing the stewardship work for three years, you know, then it was just, for me, like a, a, you know, welcome opportunity to then join the parish board, you know, because, yeah. then, you know, mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. when you say prepared, you know, I I mean, I would say um, I don't think I had a good understanding until I did the stewardship work for three years, you know, so then you come in with a whole different perspective, thinking in a different way. Um, and yeah, you know, similarly at Powers, like I'm not a musician, you know, the way many others on, on the board are, but, you know, hopefully you're still bringing up perspective, you know, from yeah. just a governance standpoint and advisory standpoint, you know, more so as a musician, you know, so. Yeah. Um, that's a fascinating point. The, so what I, and I think that's one of the things that we, you know, sometimes when we're recruiting people in any capacity, we almost downplay. We're like, oh, it's not going to take a lot. Oh, it's going to be easy. Oh, don't worry about it. It's not going to. And I think, I think the so what is almost more important. It's like, you know what? If this, if I want to invite you to serve in this way, and here's what it's going to do. Like, here's the point. We're going to be raising money through the stewardship process. And here's what that makes possible. And without it, you know, and so being able to lean into the importance because that's really you know, motivating in it. And it's like, yeah, I mean, this is why we're asking. It's very consistent. I mean, I feel like my my work life and other uh, other life is all very consistent because you were asking about, um, you know, leadership. Now, let's say the same thing is true at work. You know, I mean, on um, on in various teams, you know, there may be team members that may not have visibility to the you know whole big picture, but it's important that each one gets to see you know how their portion of the work contributes to the big picture otherwise you know how do you motivate people and so yeah, right. um, you know it's, it's not um it's not been important to me to to be visible it's been more important to me to have impact you know and so yeah um mm. I, I think that um and that you can't you can't do that and you can't achieve whatever it is that you're trying to do in my world you know by yourself and you need the whole team so you know if it requires um i mean i have high standards for myself and everyone can see me putting just as much if not more work you know and so it's not as if um i'm just like pushing the work on to others i mean they can see I'm working um, hard on it myself and they're, you know, I'm expecting them to deliver what they need to deliver by a certain time. So that next person can take it from there, you know, so it's all laid out and everybody understands 
what they are um, responsible for and what they are accountable for. And then it just just works out. I mean, I don't know. It's not like a, a, a thoughtful strategy or anything, but I think that maybe what um, maybe it's my background or, you know, it's like everyone's a somebody, right? I mean, I spend um, some many um many situations in which like you wonder you know whether you're even visible you know and yeah. so um, i would never like turn around and treat anyone as if they were invisible you know so it's mm-hmm. um, maybe that um there is a level of empathy there is a level you know like i don't have any need to treat anyone as less than you know because mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. not going to give me anything um or any kind of satisfaction and so it's just um, I mean, you know, you read these in the motivational things. Right? You're not judged by how you interact with the CEO, but how you interact with the janitor, right? But I mean, right. mm-hmm. I feel very comfortable chatting with like everyone, you know. And so it's just, um, it's just connecting, right, with with right. people and mm-hmm. being able to explain because you know you are asking them to do a lot. You know, everyone's making sacrifices, and yeah. so you know, yeah. Um, want to be sure that they are visible and that they are, you know, feeling that they are part of making impact right alongside you. So. Right. Um, well, and so as we have with everybody, we also wanted to have some time. Uh, if you had any questions for Samuel or for me, please. Yeah. yeah feel I mean, free. I'm always, you know, every time I see you in church or I listen to you um, in anything that, that you talk about, you know, how, how do you keep going? I mean, what, um, where do you find, you know, this renewal, this energy, because, you know, we're mostly all feeling kind of drained when we wander in there on Sunday, right? (laughs) So Mm. (laughs) that's the time when you're like at your, you know, your best, how are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, 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 he is. He is at his best in worship. And I, I wonder how he preserves his like emotional energy for that too. How do you do it, Chris? Well, I'm I'm very much fed by people. And so I was, you know, so I think that moment, I, I really love connecting with everybody. And so Sundays especially are, are very, that whole experience is just, you know, some of my favorite mm. time. Um, but, but it's also sort of preparing for that. You know, it's been, it's been a real education to figure out what feeds me and there's a there's a singer called um Dow and she has this band called Dow and the get down stay down but anyway she has this one lyric that says I drink only that which makes me thirsty mm. and that has just always resonated with me and I'm like I just am mindful of the things that truly feed me nourish me replenish me you know, and a lot of that is fishing time in nature, you know, this sweet time with my children, you know, a time off adventuring with my wife. And and so I'm really careful to be sure that I'm doing those things. And and the pandemic really drove home. It's just not, it's not like, oh, if I can make it work, it's like I have to. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm really I get to a point where I just, you know, I just need to be up to my waist in a river rushing around me at a certain point or, you know, just put it all down for a little while and take off to the mountains or the yeah. woods or whatever. So I'm, I'm, you know, 
committed to that and and to spiritual practice too you know mm -hmm. uh, you know sitting meditation and vespers i mean a lot of what we do together the worship that we've created really feeds me also the music that we create on a regular basis really feeds me also um so that's what's been you know very very replenishing um and and the so what you know like <laughs> it's 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 a beautiful thing that we've that we've that you all were creating a long time before I came and that now we get to create together and continue on and so it's it feels it feels really important to me what we're doing and so that also feeds me just knowing knowing how mm. what we're doing has been helpful to people so, yeah yeah um, well actually actually um Chris if you don't mind can I ask you I mean meaning to ask you this for a while uh, when you're when you're training to be a minister, right? At any point in the training, whether it's a dip school or later, do you is there training on like how to protect yourself emotionally, how to protect your emotional space, how to protect your emotional resilience, how to protect your kind of bandwidth so that you can be there for people when they need you, and also look after yourself? Is that part of it? Is there like some training on that? There, there is, I took a class called the psychology and theology of religious leadership. And mm. so I learned from this wonderful Rosemary Kenichi. She was a, um, she's a Catholic nun, um, just a genius, uh, really, really super wise about, um, religion and leadership and, and ministry. Um, but, but really, I think the biggest place we learn that is, is in internships and in okay. the clinical, clinical pastoral education, when you're working in a hospital, being a chaplain, mm. um, because then it's really like, you know, I was, I was called in, I mean, everybody has these stories, but I was called in one night and you're, I was on call middle of the night and I was called in this huge family. It was actually right around Thanksgiving, huge family had gathered two branches of the family, young couple had a baby. And the mother was estranged. She was an addict. She got clean. She came back. She was trying to rebuild connection. She was watching the baby, a toddler, and it launched itself off a table, hurt its head, mm -hmm. and the baby had died. And the mm -hmm. family didn't know yet. Mm -hmm. And the doctor tells me, and he's like, so can you go pray with them? Mm -hmm. We're going to come out in about an hour and tell the, this, like, 30 people. We're about to tell this huge family that the baby's dead. And so I go out and I'm the family gathers around and they ask me to pray with them. Right. <laughs> and that's how you learn about wow. <laughs> how to, wow. yeah, you're just thrust yeah. into these situations. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, and it's really different yeah. when you're in a community for many years and hopefully many, many, many more years and you're building these long relationships you know, mm -hmm. we just had the day of remembrance service and I was going through pictures. We had those Polaroids that we took when I first came during candidate. Yeah, yeah. I had hundreds of them still in my office and I was sharing them with John so we can learn people's names. And I came up on, you know, Laura Miller's picture mm -hmm. and I came up on, you know, Penny's picture yeah. and, mm -hmm. you know, Rebecca Hankey's picture and Jim Sugarman's picture. And so I just looked at them all and, you know, I had had relationships. I mean, obviously you all had longer relationships, but still I knew these people. And then I brought their pictures out and put them on the altar. You know, so it's different when you're in a place for a long time and you get to know people and build relationships with them. Cause then you're invested, you know, then it's like personal in a different yeah, way. Once yeah. It becomes personal. In a place. And 
you've built the resiliency and you've built the connection, you've built that love over time. So it's mm. a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah. But I mean, you, again, you're part of everyone's life, right? So um, in, in the congregation, you know, and so it's just by default, you're part of things that are happening to them or things that they're doing, um, you know, so kind of finding that balance between um you know, being there for people, but then that's that's sort of one of the things I was talking about too is sometimes in like, oh, I can't believe such and such person just did this, but you know, I'm still my minister. <laughs> Figure out a way to bring him back. Yeah. I remember, you know, over the course of, of many years, um you get to see people you get to so I I have a colleague who talks about that. God loves us exactly as we are, but loves us too much to leave us like this. Mm. So it's mm. sort of a similar thing to me where I like that. You know, I get to I get to love people exactly where they are and be really clear about the ways that we all can learn and grow and really support yeah, yeah, yeah. people yeah. In, in growing from wherever we are. So knowing that, you know, there's that and that's true for me too, right? So this. 46 year old version of me is not the end product. Right. And so we'll all continue to keep learning and growing. And, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of, there's a lot of grace. And I think it's the harder thing is when there's genuine harm done or when there's genuine, you know, evil's too big of a word, but when there's like malicious intent that gets complicated, mm. but where it's the vast majority of times where it's somebody just falling short of the person that they want to be, there's a lot of compassion and a lot of love in my heart for that. And that we can all grow, grow around together and, and get better yeah. and better. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things we used to talk about uh, when thinking about stewardship, right. Um, we used to say, well, you know, the relationship with church is and transactional, you know, so it's not, right. it's right. not mm. as if, you know, mm. you're okay. I'm drinking coffee every Sunday. And so, you know, what do I owe the church? It's not, it's not that, you know, and so, yeah, right. Um, kind of thinking about that deeper, um, you know, relationship that you have with the institution and together everyone right. has with the institution. So with the community. So, yeah, it's um, it's so totally different, right, from um, my day to day work that, you know, <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe to, not totally different, but, you know, it's just, uh, uh, I guess if I really sit down and think about, you know, working with teams that you know essentially are purpose built for um, everything that we do which is somewhat time limited and you know it's just immediately establishing credibility with that team getting this thing done and everyone goes their ways and we start all over again with a new team you know it's um, mm -hmm. I, I am probably seeing a few commonalities um uh, more than it being completely different but certainly like mm -hmm. um your so what is a lot bigger sometimes you know, than <laughs> our so what but yeah maybe you know someday what i'm working on will save lives or something but yeah yeah well and the fun thing is there's a lot of different so what's all at play all at the same time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean and it's also you know um not everything um you know is going to be successful like i mean i work in drug development, most things are going to be failures, you know, but it's, uh, mm. that's why it's really important to, you know, know that you're doing it with the right intention and you're making the best decisions 
that you can in the moment with the information that you have. And, you know, um, that's why, like, you know, um, it needs to be fulfilling to everybody. Otherwise, you know, they're not getting their so what either. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, thank you, guys. I mean, uh, honestly, this this whole time, uh, I know everyone's been telling you this, but I'll say it again, too, you know, just keeping everyone together and, uh, you know, especially now that we're all sort of coming back in person yeah. and sort of realizing that, you know, how together folks had been, even though, you know, um, it's still very special to come back uh, in in person, you know, to know that it was still there, you know, it was just yeah. never that far away. And it was still there, even though like the virtual thing was not working for me lately, you know, but <laughs> still, uh, yeah. Yeah, I know it was, it was a real, it was a joy to be able to do. And I'm so glad that we're back and coming yeah. back in person. Me too. Seeing people I really needed that. Yeah. see each other again. And yeah. yeah. But yeah. I mean, you, you guys were like, you know, I don't know how naturally it came to you. It certainly looked and felt very natural and, and real, right? But you were the right people, you know, for the, for this time. So thank you. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. definitely, we had the right minister for the job during during COVID. Wow. And yeah. I mean, all of us. I mean, and you, especially everybody else, learned. Wh- I mean, I did my thing, right? But you know, I mean, we're on a podcast that you learned how to do because of all this. Oh yeah, I learned a lot of new stuff. I'm just saying that 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 that. Yeah, yeah. No, okay. Yeah, no, we're all. It's it's been it's been. Yeah, we still needed a fearless leader, right? So. Yeah. That's right. Wow. Yeah. And thank you so much. This has been super fun. And I'm so glad that you said yes. And so glad to have you. And so Yeah, glad thank you, Anjali. This has been fascinating. And it's your life story is fascinating. Yeah. It was fascinating getting to know you better. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I appreciate that. You know, it's it's so it's interesting, you know. So um I used to tell Tony at some point, um, you know, if you list like a series of categories, you know. Does that mean you know the person? And, um, you know, I firmly believe you don't. I mean, I think, yes, I'm an immigrant, and yes, I'm a woman, and yes, I'm a person of color, and yes, I'm a scientist, and yes, I'm a business person. But does that together, Mm, like, tell you who you are? You absolutely don't, you know. You can't really make any assumptions about anyone based on all of those categories. No, it's wonderful. Well, thank you. And as always, thank you, Samuel. Super fun. And... 